If you have your Bible, I want you to go to Joshua chapter 9. We're continuing in uh, this series uh, called Promised Land Living. And by the way, uh, in this series, I want to make sure that everybody, regardless of when you've kind of caught on, you can always go back to our website, calvary.online, and go and listen to all the messages in this series as we're literally walking through the book of Joshua as we are, as a people, endeavoring to step into God's promises. That's what this is about. God has made promises, I believe, to Calvary Church that we are to expand and that we are to reach out to both the right and the left and that God is going to birth new things in all of us, new ministries. We're going to see many people come into relationship with Christ. I'm excited about all of that, but there are lessons to be learned. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 says, everything in the Old Testament was given to us as an example, so that we would not have uh, the same pitfalls, the same problems that the Israelites went through. So when we look at the story of the children of Israel taking the promised land, they had some problem, the problems, which by the way, helps us to realize the promised land is not heaven. Now, by the way, we don't talk about that enough. Uh, is anybody looking forward to heaven? Amen. All the single people in the room was like, I hope he lets me get married first. Well, <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, you get a little bit older, man, you're like, man, I can't wait for heaven. There's no more pain there. No more tears there. Uh, no sickness, no disease, no brokenness. I mean, we're, I am looking forward to heaven. The number one reason is I get to see my great and exceeding reward. Some people are looking forward to the mansion just over the hillside. Not me. I think I'm going to be able to Airbnb my house in heaven. Here's why. I'm going to be at the throne. And I'll be making loads in heaven because I'll be renting that place out. Glory to God. Heaven's going to be wonderful. But you're born again, not just for heaven, but to expand the kingdom of God, to live out God's purposes. Now, this week, I want to speak to you a message called No Substitutes. This Promised Land series, No Substitutes. Anybody ever have a substitute in school? You know what substitute, when you show up to class and there's a substitute there, you know what immediately what happens in the heart of a student? <laughs> yeah, you cast off restraint like a wild horse. You're like, wow, I don't have to learn, I don't have to study, I don't have to obey. Why? Because a substitute, and I know that there are substitutes for the school system in here, and I know that some of you have endured this. And now listen, i got to tell you, sometimes in the school, school system, they have something called a permanent substitute. Let me tell you what happens in the classroom with a, pers a, a, a permanent substitute. Nothing! I'm not going to name which child this was, because I have five. I'll let you guess and figure it out on your own. But one of my children got a foreign language class with a permanent substitute. Guess what happened? 
He learned more from Dora the Explorer. <laughs> Glory to God. Oh, I said he. That, that means it's just two. Sorry. All right. No substitutes. I want you to get that in your spirit. Last week, we spent some time in Joshua chapter 9. I want you to go to Joshua chapter 9 today. And by the way, if you have the Bible app, all the notes are there. You can make your own notes and then save it to your phone. I believe, listen to me carefully. I believe what God spoke to me out of this passage is a message for the church right now. I have to tell you, I have never, I've listened to thousands, if not tens of thousands of sermons in my lifetime. I love it. I love to learn. I love to study the Word of God. I have never heard what I'm about to share with you. I discovered it in the Word of God. And I want to, I want to share this with you because it is the antidote to a sickness that's trying to make its way into the church of the last hour that will keep us from the purposes of God. Last week we spoke a message called Freedom's Foe. It was all about how the, the Gibeonites deceived the Israelites. This is the fallout from that deception. This is what happens in the atmosphere and in the camp and in the lives of the Israelites as a result of that deception. So I want to take you back into this story, Joshua chapter 9, verses 17 through 27. We're going to read it together. This is out of the New International Version. It says this. So the Israelites set out, and on the third day came to their cities. This is the cities of the Gibeonites, okay? By the way, you should know this. The truth always comes out on the third day. Come on, that ought to make the Pentecostals want to run around the room. Because they put the truth in a grave. And on the third day, he came out. Truth always comes out on the third day. So this is a foreshadowing even of the resurrection. It says, and they set out, and on the third day, it came to the cities of Gibeon, uh, Kephira, Beeroth, and uh, Kiriath-Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack them. They didn't attack these because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath or made a promise to them, the Gibeonites, by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, we have given them our oath or promise by the Lord, God of Israel. We cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live. So that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They continued. Now, this is the assembly talking. Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So the leader's promise to them was kept. To who? The assembly. They promised them something. We're going to make them woodcutters and water carriers. It says, Then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, Why did you deceive us by saying we live a long way while actually you live near us? You are now under a curse. You will never be released from service as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. 
They answered Joshua, your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded your servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you, and that is why we did this. We are now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites, and they did not kill them. That day, he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the assembly to provide the needs of the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. And this is, is what they are to this day. Now, if you remember this, let me take you back to last week. There was an atmosphere that led to the deception that Israel was in. It was this, prayerlessness. It says all they did is they leaned on their natural understanding, tasted the moldy bread, which was a ruse, it was a trick, and they did not inquire of the Lord. And so prayerlessness led to deception. But notice, after they were deceived, nowhere in this chapter do you find them praying. We still don't have them praying. We have them going. We have them seeking out these cities. And here's what I want you to see this morning. Prayerlessness made God's people vulnerable to deception. But the voice of deception and prayerlessness is grumbling. It says in verse 18, the whole assembly was grumbling and complaining. They were grumbling and complaining. And then this assembly said, notice what they said in verse 21, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So the leaders promised to them was kept. Here's what the grumbling people said. Here's what the complainers said. You made a promise to the Gibeonites. Where's our promise? Where's our promise? You made a promise to the Hivites. You gave them a promise. Where's our promise? And they're complaining. And you should write this down. Grumbling and complaining is the modern gateway drug of entitlement. Grumbling and complaining is the modern gateway drug of entitlement. Why? Here's the people of God. They already possess everything and they're complaining as if they have nothing. And by the way, this is creeping into our culture in a mighty way. Grumbling and complaining. By the way, 
if you're, a, if you're a complainer and you're a grumbler, here's what I believe with all of my heart. The atmosphere of your life has got to be prayerlessness. Why? Because God answers prayer and he, he comes and supplies and gives breakthrough and you realize suddenly what you should be thankful for. But when grumbling and complaining are rising, it is an indication that prayerlessness has opened the door to deception and deception's voice, listen carefully church, is grumbling and complaining. And what does that lead to? Entitlement. I'm complaining. I don't have, I don't have, I don't have. I deserve. You know what entitlement is? is believing you deserve something without having to work for it. Oh, we're going to have fun today. (laughs) Write it down. Grumbling and complaining is the modern gateway drug of entitlement. That's why Philippians 2 says this in verse 14 to 15. Do all things without complaining and arguing. By the way, in my Bible, there are parentheses, especially in a political season. Ooh, I bless God. That you may become, listen, blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation of whom you shine as lights in the world. I've, I've got I've to I've share this with you. Grumbling and complaining are the marks of a crooked and perverse generation. According to the word of God. Grumbling and complaining. By the way, some of y'all need to go to your social media and fix your grumbling and complaining because you look perverse. You're just as perverse as the people that you're mad at. You're crooked. You're just as bent, only in another way. Oh, I'm giving you the word of the Lord. I, I tell you, sometimes we don't like good preaching. We, you know what? Today, we're going to get what we're... We are all going to let the work of God come and do a work in us. I want you to see something. Notice what the perversity of entitlement asked for in this story. What did entitlement ask for? First, and I'm not even preaching. This is just a free point. First, it asked for murder. Entitlement asked for murder. The the whole assembly says, why can't we just kill them? Why can't we just kill them? And the leaders say, no, 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 no. They have a a covenant with God. God, through us, because we, we agreed not to kill them, we gave them an oath, we gave them our word, they now are in covenant with God. So we can't just kill them because we want to. The perversity of entitlement that has come upon our nation says, let us murder whoever we want to. Let us murder the baby in the womb. Let us murder the one that is inconveniently in our way of standing for the life that we want to make for ourselves. 
Oh, I've, I've, I've come to tell you today, I'm not just against abortion, I'm an abolitionist of abortion. I want it completely abolished in every case. Every case. Why? Because it's entitlement that says there's got to be some kind of open door for abortion. No, there doesn't. Not on this day when we're standing on the precipice of ministering to foster kids who were someone else's inconvenience, but they're God's plan of releasing his glory in the earth. I'm telling you, you don't solve rape by murder. It's entitlement and deception that has come upon a church that says, I can vote that way, I can support that way. It is absolute deception that comes from prayerlessness. You don't get that mindset from being in the presence of a holy God. That is why in a crooked and perverse generation, abortion is on the rise. Euthanasia is on a rise. Assisted suicide is on a rise. Why? Because we, the first thing, the first thing entitlement says, let us kill whoever we want to kill. It's perverse. Church, we got to wake up. It's perverse. We can have no agreement with those enemies. Let me give you the part of this which may be closer to home for us in this room. The second thing they asked for, this, this voice of entitlement and complaining, is they asked for substitute worshipers. Substitute worshipers. First they asked for murder, and then... Substitute worshipers. Notice what the scripture says. It says, they, they asked, in Joshua 9.21, it says, hey, um, we, 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 or 9.26 rather, it says, so Joshua saved them from the Israelites, did not kill them, there was the murder that they wanted. That day, he made the Gibeonites woodcutters, and water carriers. For what? For the needs of the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. I have this question for you. It dawned on me in my study of the book of Joshua, why in the world would God want a people out of covenant for him getting wood and water for him? And then it occurred to me, he never did. It was, it was entitlement's way of saying, if they got a promise to live, then we should have our lives enriched in some way. Make them, listen to me, it says, make them woodcutters and water carriers. It begs the question, after Moses has been given the great design of the tabernacle of meeting, who had 
the responsibility in those early days of gathering the wood and the water. It is absolutely clear in Scripture from the way that they were complaining who the wood gatherers and the water carriers were. It was the whole assembly. It was the responsibility of God's covenant people to get the wood and the water. Now, I want, I want to show you something here today. Who supplied the trees? God did. Who supplied the water on the earth? God did. You can't do anything in the kingdom apart from the grace of God. You're saved by grace. You don't earn your salvation. You receive the free gift. And by the way, just so you understand, Joshua supplied the wood that, that, that saved the whole world. You say, what? I thought that was Jesus. It is. But his name in Hebrew, if you were to translate it directly to English, it would be Joshua. Joshua. Yahshua. It means Yahweh's salvation. He supplied the wood. Oh, and he supplied the water. You're going to find out what this stands for. And I believe we're going to be saved from substitutionary worship. Make them woodcutters and water carriers. People were, the people of God were supplying wood for the altar and water for the laver, the basin. I want to show you this. This is so powerful, it will address what, what is trying to creep into the church. That spirit of entitlement, that spirit of consumerism, which is creeping into the church. I believe that this wood is telling us a story. You see, when you go to Leviticus 6.12, here's what you find. On this altar, it says, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. Always. It must not go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood that has been gathered for him and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. So here's, here's, here's what, what happened. The people would gather the wood and they would supply it. And the priest was always putting wood on the fire. Here's the other thing you need to know. This fire did not originate with man. This fire was set by God. When they blessed the temple, when they blessed the tabernacle, fire came down from heaven on the altar and lit the wood. And that was the fire which was meant to keep burning. Not one that you could make on your own. Ask Phineas and his brother. They offered profane fire, which is fire they made on their own, and God broke out and killed them. That's what profane fire is. Fire birthed out of the flesh instead of fire birthed from the spirit. Now, I believe the wood here is symbolic of surrendered. It's a surrendered life. The wood is symbolic of surrender. And what did they say? They said, somebody else can surrender. Somebody else can go with a surrendered life. You see, the wood was the agent upon which, in this instance, the fire of God, which represents the pleasure of God, could consume the offering. There's the wood, 
Here, the fire is the pleasure of God. It's a blessing of God. I know sometimes fire represents judgment. Not here. It's the blessing of God, the grace of God, the fiery spirit of God. The agent is the wood. It's a surrendered life. God puts his fire, his pleasure on a surrendered life. And then those things which are then put on that altar of free will, those offerings that we give to God through a surrendered life, that's what is acceptable. That's what brings glory to God. But Israel made the mistake. Somebody else get the wood. And I believe in the church of the last hour, there is a seducing, entitled spirit that says, just let the vocational minister go get the wood. Let the preacher surrender his life. Let the evangelist or the missionary be the one that gathers the wood. But make no mistake about it, the wood is representative of a surrendered life. Don't you know Psalm chapter 1? Notice the comparison. This is how I know the wood represents a surrendered life. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a, everybody say it. That person is like a the wood who yields its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither, wither and whatever he does prospers as he lives for the Lord. The wood represents a surrendered life to God. It's surrender. But entitlement is creeping its way into the church. And entitlement in the kingdom says, I want the benefit of the fire without the surrender. People today are saying, I want revelation without actually being reconciled to God. I want gifting without godliness. I want clarity without consecration. I want blessing without the Beatitudes. I don't want to hunger and thirst after righteousness and seek God as first and then be filled. No, I deserve to be filled. Somebody bring me a plate. It's creeping into the church. We want peace without prayer. We want revival without requirements. And we want heaven without holiness, without which no one will see God. Here's what we're saying many times in the last hour of church. Someone else get the wood for me. And I want to tell you, Surrendered is the only way to live in the promised land. You should write this down. The enemies in your life will never surrender until you do. The enemies of God's plan and God's call on your life, they don't surrender until you do. Thoroughly and completely, 
You say, Lord, let my life be the agent upon which you place your fire. And then everything I offer you, may it bring glory to you. May suddenly people see that my life is simply the wood laid down on this place to be consumed by your presence. You quickly realize that this entitlement spirit was working its way through Israel and it was trying to prevent them from the promises that God had for them. And now Israel is dragging along a people who have no covenant with God. They don't know how to walk with God. And now they've put them to work in the church. This is why we do not hire unbelievers to play music on our stage. It's all over the church. They hire unbelievers to come in simply because they can play notes and keep time. I'm telling you, Gibeonites, they're Hivites, people with no covenant with God. I'm telling you, they may, they may lead you in a song, but they will not lead you into the glory of God. The glory of God came down on the tent of meeting because there were people gathering wood there. And the fire burnt because people laid down their lives for the glory of God. And these people on this stage, they lay their lives down for the glory of God. And the presence comes. And deliverance comes. And salvation comes. Why? Because of the wood on the altar. There is no replacing us saying, God, I want a substitute worshiper. This worship team, by the way, is not a substitute for your worship. You need to go get your wood. You need to find the place of surrender again. You need to find the place of laying down your life. Stop trying to make your dream come to pass and start dreaming God's dream. And I promise every sense of fulfillment you had ever tried to lay hold of will manifest in your life when you give yourself to God's dream for your life. So that's the wood. It's the wood is surrender, but then there's the water. So they're wood cutters and water carriers. Well, what's the water for? In Exodus chapter 40, verses 30 through 32, it says, He set, this is God, set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting, that's the holy place, and the altar. So the altar's first, then this laver, which is a basin of water. It says, put water there for washing. And Moses and Aaron and his sons would wash their hands and their feet with water from it. Whenever they went into the tabernacle of meeting and when they came near the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. By the way, here's what I want you to understand. Water in this instance does not, it, this is not for the forgiveness of sins. This wasn't to cover sins. That is only done by blood in the Old Testament. Forgiveness of sin. Atonement is done by blood, not water. Why then do Moses and Aaron and the priest, by the way, in case you didn't know this, you are a royal priesthood if you're in the kingdom of God. You're a priest. So you're invited into the same process 
of as you are going into the holy place of meeting with God or as you are going to that altar of sacrifice where you lay your life down in surrender, every time you give yourself to what? Sanctification. Cleansing. This means I am saved by grace, not by my own works. You know, nobody goes to heaven because we earn it. But when you get born again, you immediately start the process of going to meet with God, of laying your life down again and again. And what you do is you go to the water and it cleanses you. You go to the water and it cleanses you. It said, every time that I look to God, I let him cleanse me more and more. The word sanctification means just that, the ongoing process of God cleansing us from being contaminated by sin. Every time they went to the tabernacle of meeting, they washed. Every time they came to the altar, they washed. Entitlement in the kingdom of God says, I want the benefit of being clean without the process of change. And there is an apostate church in the world right now that says, God loves everybody. You don't have to change. I'm just going to tell you, God doesn't share. He doesn't even negotiate. When he shows up, you will change. And I promise you, if you're born again in here, God wants to change you. And if you're not born again, God wants to change you. The first change comes by grace. The next, this happens, this ongoing cleansing happens by an act of grace. Will, where you offer yourself to the cleansing work of God. How many times? Again and again and again and again and again and again and again. How many of you with me would raise your hand and say, man, I feel like I should be maybe farther along than I am right now. Come on, come on. Can we be honest in here? But how many hands would say, but I'm thankful to God that I'm not where I used to be. Why? Because I got born again and God started doing a work in me. And there was a cleansing work. Listen, you can't ignore God's call for change. Now I'm about to say something very direct. Because all of us need to hear this. Thoughts like thoughts about heaven and living like hell do not equal salvation in the kingdom of God. Thoughts about heaven and living like hell does not equal the kingdom of God. I got to be direct with you. You need to be shocked. You need to be awakened today. Don't think to yourself. I have some kind of theology that gets me into heaven when I'm living like hell. As if Satan's my boss. As if the flesh is still my leader in this promised land, spirit-filled, spirit-led life. Born again of a new nature given the DNA of my Savior. No! And by the way, this part of the sermon... Make it get, get us kicked off of every platform. I don't care. 
I care more about the condition of the last day's church called to expand the kingdom of God than I do about the platforms of men. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. By the way, Mark, I'm just reading the Bible. Zuckerberg. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Remember what happened in Israel? They were deceived. Why? Because they didn't pray. They didn't have the counsel of God. Neither fornicators. That is sex outside of marriage in any way. Porn on your computer. Sex outside of marriage. It's not okay. Glory to God. Or idolaters. Nor adulterers. Nor homosexuals. Nor sodomites. Nor thieves. Nor covetousness. Nor drunkards. Nor revilers nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Let's just, I mean, just pick one that's oh, less offensive. Covetous. We have entire networks dedicated to covetousness. You say, oh no, I want to get rid of that. Turn off HGTV. It draws on the seed of covetousness. Oh, ready to see your fixer upper? <laughs> oh, I finally have value. <laughs> but I thought the gains were believers. I promise you what the network wants you to do is feel less than so they can keep your eyes watching. Make no mistake. That doesn't inherit the kingdom of heaven. You don't go to heaven with that in your life. Oh, but don't you love the grace of God? And I love this. This is how you know God is calling you by the water to change. But such were some of you. How many of you glad you can find yourself in the list, but maybe you're not in the list anymore? Oh, aren't you glad for the grace of God? It says such were some of you, which says anybody in any lifestyle can be set free by the blood of the Lamb and the washing of the Word to change a life. But entitlement says I'm entitled to God's love and no change. But such were some of you, but you were washed. There's the word. There's the water. You were washed. You were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Notice, you were washed. We've got to let God's sanctifying, washing work permeate every aspect of who we are. And if you want a revelation of what it looks like, you have to go to Ephesians 5, which is sometimes said uh, to be, uh, you know, only... For weddings, only for instruction of marriage. But actually, Ephesians 5 isn't about instruction for marriage. It's about the relationship between Jesus and the church. And marriage is the example that you can apply it to. 
The emphasis is on the relationship between Jesus and the church. And here is what it says. It says, husband, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might what? Sanctify her and cleanse her by the washing of water. How? By the word. That he might present her to himself. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but ha- that he should be holy, that she should be holy and without blemish. Church of the living God, listen. Go and wash in the word. Don't think to yourself. I hired a water carrier. He gets up on stage every week. That's not my job. I'm not your woodcutter and I'm not your water carrier. I know who I am. I'm a shepherd under the under shepherd. I'm called to equip you and awaken you to your ministry, to your calling. But your calling, it involves surrender and it involves the cleansing work of God. So we're going to lift you into your ministry. We're going to lift you into the possibility, Calvary. We're going to lift you into the expansion God has for you. But you got You cannot accept a substitute. You can't accept someone else's preaching for your own revelation from the word. You can't accept, wow, I'm really on fire. Why? Well, my pastor is. No. Today we can choose no substitutes. It was in an atmosphere of prayerlessness and an atmosphere of entitlement and complaining and grumbling that people with no covenant with God received the seeds of blessing, cutting the wood and carrying the water. In verse 10, the Gibeonites begin to receive a blessing from God. You thought the whole story was just about Israel? Wait till chapter 10. When those who were cutting the wood and the water start seeing God fight for them. Listen. Don't give away your responsibility to surrender your life to God because you've got other people around you who are surrendered. Don't give away the responsibility of God's ongoing cleansing work because your wife prays. Because your church has a prayer meeting. Don't give away the wood and the water. Don't give away surrender and sanctification in your life. Don't give it away in this consumerism mentality that is, you know, the the church thinks I am entitled to something. People leave the church every week. Well, I wasn't fed this week. It could be that you've been fasting all week and you have an appetite for other things. Could be. Or sometimes preachers miss it. We're human. I think many times what we've done is we have, we have said in the church of the last hour, somebody else carry the wood. Somebody else be surrendered. 
Somebody else get the water of the word. Somebody else be sanctified. I'll just get around them, and it'll make me feel better about my position. Church, that's not going to work in this last hour. Listen, there are thousands of people moving to this county that, you, that need you and I to be authentic believers in Jesus. Authentic followers of Jesus. Those who say, no, 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 no. You sit down. You may live, but you're not taking my wood. You're not getting my wood that I have to offer to God. You're not getting the water of the word just for me. I'm thankful for whatever you share with me. I'm thankful for that. But I'll be getting my own surrender and my own, I'll be getting my own cleansing directly by God, for God. And everything that happens in light of that is for his glory. Today, first, you might be here, and you don't really have a relationship with God. You need to know, Jesus got the wood and took it to a hill called Calvary, and there he paid the price that none of us could pay for a debt that he didn't owe. He paid for our sin there. He gave us the water of his word to cleanse us so that in relationship we would be made like him, spotless without wrinkle. I want to encourage you today, saved or unsaved, choose surrender. If you're born again here, Choose change by the power of the Holy Spirit.